Good morning. Good morning. How are y'all this morning? This has been, um, this book study has been interesting because I feel like we're repeating ourselves every week. But as he says in the book, we need to be repeating ourselves every week regarding this because all too often we forget. Seems like that's all we've done in Hebrews. Yes. Yeah, that's exactly right. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> some of you may, are familiar with this um, gospel primer, <clears throat> and the focus uh, since we've come back in the fall. <laughs> Got to be Blackledge, right? It's Got to be Blackledge. It's gotta be Blackledge. <laughs> we heard a voice out there and we're like, it's gotta be Scott Blackledge. Joe Hopper's looking good, man. He's trimming down. Lord's coming, everybody. Um <laughs> Don't your, hus- don't your husband have a, a clock or a watch or something? Yeah, that's my fault. I would have been here. The focus of this, this, fall, this fall session, we get into chapter 14 and moving on. We're going to actually backtrack a little bit and time to talk through what we've seen is God's mercy. That's really been the focus for the last five or six weeks. So I want to start with something from the Gospel Primer. It's, it's actually, if you're reading the, the Gospel Primer on the, the days, because they have it broken down into 31 days, if you're reading actually today, is I want you to hear this. Gary and I were just talking about this. Like nothing else could ever do, The gospel instills in me a heart for the downcast, poverty-stricken, and those in need of physical mercies, especially when such persons are of the household of faith. When I see a person who is materially poor, I instantly feel a kinship with them, for they are physically what I was spiritually when my heart was closed to Christ. Perhaps some of them are in their condition because of sin, but so was I. Perhaps they are unkind when I try to help them. But I, too, have been spiteful to God when he has sought to help me. Perhaps they are thankless and even abuse the kindness I show them. But how many times have I been thankless and used what God has given me to serve selfish ends? Perhaps a poverty-stricken person will be blessed and changed as a result of some kindness I show him. If so, God be praised for his grace through me. But if the person walks away unchanged by my kindness, then I still rejoice over the opportunity to love as God loves. Perhaps the person will repent in time, but for now my heart is chastened and made wiser by the tangible depiction of what I myself have done to God on numerous occasions. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your mercy, for your love, and for your grace. Help us to see fresh every day and every week just how your mercies are new every morning. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So I want to back up because we've covered a lot. We've, this, we're in chapter 19. So as of today, we'll have covered six chapters in the last five weeks. And moving forward, I haven't gotten the official okay on this yet, but for next week, plan to read chapters 20 and 21 for next week instead of just 20. So just, to, just as a preparation for a possibility for next week, I may cover two chapters next week. Chapter 14. Uh, if you're going through the book, chapter 14, he focuses on 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. Anybody, if you've got your book, can you tell me what the, the ver- part of the verse that he quotes there is? Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Remember in that chapter, he was helping us bring our minds back to it's not just the, <clears throat> the false dichotomy that we see in God and Jesus in our current society and in our own minds where we see God as, as just and vengeful and, and Christ as loving and compassionate, but that God is the father of mercies. This is where the mercies come from. And then in chapter, excuse me, chapter 15, we went to Lamentations chapter 3 where he says he doesn't afflict us from his heart. And before that, he says, if he grieves you, he, he is still a God who is compassionate and loving kindness. So God's mercy is continuing to flow through in Lamentations chapter 3. In chapter 16, he jumps to Exodus 34, 6 and 7. And there it's the God who is slow to anger, who is compassionate and gracious, who is abundant in his loving kindness. And we continue to see this the God of the Old Testament being a merciful God who, even though your sins deserve what they deserve, that there's still mercy there waiting, waiting to be poured out on you. In chapter 17, Isaiah 55 verse 8, where it says his ways are not our ways. And, you know, um, we've heard this verse quoted before outside of the church. People love to say that, well, his ways aren't my ways. But if you read verse 7, the verse before, it's talking about how he will abundantly pardon. His ways are not our ways, right? Because we, so after the third or the fourth or the second or the 17th time somebody hurts us, we're done. But not God. He abundantly pardons. And his ways are not like our ways because we don't want to abundantly pardon. We want justice. We don't really. But in our flesh, we want justice, not mercy. And then last week, we, we were in <clears throat> Jeremiah thirty-one twenty, in chapter 18, where he says, as he talks about this in the book, where he's talking about God's mercy. It's actually in the Hebrew, it's having mercy, I will have mercy. It's kind of an uncomfortable sentence, but it kind of gets the point across, right? He's a God of mercy, he has mercy, and he's going to have mercy. So that brings us to where we are, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. So I want you to turn to the book of Ephesians, because this is where we're going to spend the remainder of our time, Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to be in the first six verses, although I'm only going to talk about the first five verses, and I want to go to six, but that's chapter 23, so I don't want to jump ahead. So we're going to stop at five, even though we really need to finish through six, but just understand that's coming, okay? Uh, Chapter 2, verses 1 to 6. Now, he actually starts with verse 4 and then backtracks to verse 1 and 3, 1 through 3 in the book, 
and then jumps to verse 5 and 6. But I want to read it as it's written, and I want to work through it as it's written. So a lot of this is going to be from what he has said in the book, but I'm kind of keeping it in order, and we're going to work our way through it. So uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. And you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, among whom we, are all, we all also formerly conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, doing the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. So who's he talking about? Okay, um, he is talking about everybody. Who's the you in verse chapter two, verse one, in reference to? Who's he writing this to? The believers at Ephesus or the Ephesian believers. So this is written to believers. So yes, it, this is us in in today's context. This is written to us, and they were what? They were dead. Okay. Um, get out of your mind this mindset that, oh, I'm generally okay, but I just need to take a couple of vitamins. I'm generally a good person. I just need a little help now and then. Oh, I'm a sick person, and I just need some medicine. No, you're dead. Okay? That you've heard these, these um, ways people talk about, about their sin. Oh, I'm generally a good person. No, you're dead. Oh, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a sick person, but I just need, I need a doctor and, and they need to give me medicine. No, you're dead. That's important because if you don't understand that, the rest of this isn't going to make any sense. We're talking about spiritual death here right now because it says, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. So it's dead men walking. So we're dead in our transgressions and sins. Verse 2, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. Why do you do this? Middle of verse 2. Look at verse 2. According to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Okay. Who's the spirit, uh, the, the, the power of the air? Satan is the power of the air, okay? Well, Satan's doing this to me. No, look at the end of the verse, which is working in the sons of disobedience. This is Satan's power in you, okay? Your, 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 your heart is just as evil as he is. The difference is, is he has no remedy, but you do. So this is in your heart. This is inside of you. This disobedience, the sons of disobedience, this disobedience, this evil of who we are, which is powered by the evil one. Verse 3, among whom we all formerly conducted ourselves, or your version may say we all lived in the lusts of our flesh, doing the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Okay? We all. Who's writing this? Paul. Now, we love to point at Paul and say, oh, he was a murderer, right? Because he stood there while Stephen was being murdered. 
But if you look at Paul's own discussion of himself through the New Testament, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He followed all the rules. He did it right. He was he was the best of the best of the the Pharisees. Nobody was doing it better than he was doing it. So this kind of takes us back to where we were last week of in Matthew. Sorry, I lost my place. I thought I wrote it down. I didn't. In Matthew, where Jesus says, um, you say to me, Lord, Lord, but we did this in your name, and we did this in your name, and we did this in your name. But he says to you, get away from me, you who practice lawlessness. Okay, so the, the <clears throat> in verse 3, the lusts of our flesh, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the mind. It could be what's coming to your mind when you read that. Could be. 7, 21 to 23 is in the sermon today. Thank you. Wow. Sorry, I didn't mean to steal your thunder. <laughs> so the, the desires of the flesh and of the mind, the lusts of the flesh, when you hear those words, you immediately think of, what do you think of? be honest lusts of the flesh think of sexual sin first thing you think of could be somebody who steals somebody who lies right maybe your flesh isn't that maybe you grew up in the church and you've done everything right and you've gone to church Sunday morning Sunday night Wednesday night and your lust of the flesh is of being a rule follower and if you don't follow that rule then you're not doing it right Maybe that's your lust in the flesh. Approval of men. What's that? Approval of men. Approval of men, yes. And it could be the men outside of us, or it could be this man that we're looking for the approval from. I am good enough. You don't compare to me. That's where Paul was, right? I was the Pharisee of Pharisees. Compare yourself to me, because I was a good Pharisee. Compare yourself to me. I was a good Baptist. Right? Same idea. So this is what we're talking about. And you get into the end of verse 3 and it says, doing the desires of the flesh and of the mind and we're by nature children of wrath. Your nature, who you are deep down where nobody else can see is you're a child of wrath. You have to understand that before you get to verse 4. Because if you don't have a full understanding of that, that's what he talks about in the book. In the book he's talking about, um, this seems, he uses the word vacuous. He, these things seem so abstract. Merc- God's mercy, God's love. They seem so abstract. Well, they don't seem abstract if you know who you are. Because if you know who you are, you know that God's mercy is a great thing. Because, what's the next two ver- words in verse 4? But God doesn't say, but I did this. But God, rich in mercy. Why was he merciful? Because of his great love for us. And this ties right back to his being rich in mercy in Jeremiah 31.20, Isaiah 55, Exodus 34, 
2 Corinthians 1.3. He is father of mercies. He is great in mercy. His mercies, he has mercy in his, when he, as, as someone who has mercy. That, that, that uncomfortable sentence in Genesis, uh, Jeremiah 31, where having mercy, I will have mercy. It's that, that richness in mercy is what he's talking about. Now, why is all of this important? Go to verse 5. Even when we were, when we were, even when, when we, when we were, Dead. we were what? Dead. Okay, you get my, my, my teacher coming out here. When you were dead, can dead people do anything to help themselves? No. Even when we, when we, when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, and that's all kind of a parentheses right there because if you take that out the sentence still makes sense but God made us alive together with Christ even though you were dead even though you had transgressions and sins God still did this but this is the, the thing we have Pam and I have family members who who um, and I kind of said this last week um, well, I went to church, you know, I went to church, I said a prayer, I walked the aisle, I, I, I got baptized, you got wet. Um, but you, there's no life after that that shows that you are part of who Christ is, and you can't live that way. If you understand this, you can't live that way, because look what it says. God, but God, even when we were dead in our transgressions and sins, made us alive together with Christ. But he doesn't stop there. And raised us up with him. And seated us with him. If you're a believer and you have repented, then your entire life is with him. Now, for those that have grown up in the churches where your mind has you've been told that you can lose your salvation, well, and, and I'm going to jump ahead to six a little bit here. Uh, raise us up with him and seat us with him in heavenly places so that in the ages to come, he might show us the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For that not to happen, he has to be taken out of heaven and put back in the grave. Is that going to happen? And if you're with Christ, that can't happen to you either. Now, Generally, we, we will say that if somebody says they were and they're not living as, then it wasn't real the first time. It's not that you've lost anything. It's you didn't have it to start with. So don't, don't be hearing me say that there's a conflict here. There's not. You didn't have it. That's why you didn't lose it. But for you to have it, you are with Christ and nothing is going to pull him out of heaven. And because nothing pulls him out of heaven and we are with him, nothing can take our salvation away either. And remember, the hinge point, repentance is the hinge point, right? God is just and he is the end of Exodus 34 verse 7. He will give judgment to those who have sinned, but the hinge point is repentance because when Jesus takes that judgment, all that's left for us is mercy. And that is where this all connects back together. 
this mercy that we have, and it goes back to when I read the Gospel Primer earlier. Okay, um, people around us, um, and I struggle with this. Pam and I have this conversation on a regular basis. Um, she loves to 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 make um, homeless bags and give give stuff to homeless people, and I've always struggled with that. But think of God's mercy to you. Think of God's mercy to me. If I truly have God's mercy and he has forgiven me for all the things that I know about and all the things that I don't, but I, just the things I know are enough, why wouldn't I want to give to somebody else? Regardless of how they're going to handle it, regardless of what they're going to do with it, regardless of if they, they, they appreciate it or they don't, God has shown me mercy. I treated God the same way. And I can be thankful in that moment that he is taking that moment to show me that I was just like that. But we have his mercy. Even in our sin, as repentant believers, we have mercy. His mercy is great. Now, I want to, I'm not going to go into verse, uh, verse 7 is where chapter 23 goes. So I want to stop there. And I want to go to come down to page 179 because he says something here that just ties all of this together. <coughs> into the end of the page 179, that God is rich in mercy means that your regions of deepest shame and regret are not hotels through which divine mercy passes, but homes in which divine mercy abides. It means the thing about you that makes you cringe most makes him hug hardest. It means his mercy is not calculating and cautious like us. It's unrestrained, flood-like, sweeping, magnanimous. It means our haunting shame is not a problem for him, but the very thing that he loves most to work with. It means our sin... Our sins do not cause his love to take a hit. But our sins cause his love to surge forward all the more. It means on that day when we stand before him quietly, unhurriedly, we will weep with relief, shocked at how impoverished a view of his mercy-rich heart we had. Let's pray. Father, we are so overwhelmed with your mercy and we are thankful for your mercy God in those moments when we tend to want to to look at somebody else and and not be merciful remind us of how much mercy you've given to us help us to remember that in, in Christ's sacrifice for us not one not five not a hundred, but all of our sins have been shown mercy. God has, for, God has covered them all with your blood. Help us to always remember that. Bring it back to our minds on Tuesday this week, on Thursday this week, on Saturday when we're not thinking about it. Help us to remember your great mercy for us. In Jesus' name, amen.